So, Mark. Yes? You and I are both planning weddings right now. Yes, we are. And I would imagine that may have influenced this movie choice, but I'm not sure. Yeah, it did. Look, it was this or the wedding planner, and I felt like going with this. Uh, we did marry me almost too recently to do another JLo rom-com, I feel. Exactly. So, anyway, I was just wondering, as you watch this movie about weddings and planning weddings and weddings gone wrong, do you have any good stories of, like, weird stuff going down at weddings? So, I have a story that I want to relay of a wedding I had no part in, I witnessed from a distance, and that was the just, real- Wait, wait. Witness from a distance, I need the context. Is this like, you saw a video on Facebook, you were no. like staring at it with binoculars? It will make it sense. It was on a boat, and you were also on the boat? This next sentence will put it all in context. I was at the Renaissance Fair. <laughs> and outside the Renaissance Fair fake chapel, which doesn't even open, a real-life human wedding took place between two people... And their friends, who are all dressed in Renaissance Fair costumes. What's funny is, you do need to specify human wedding, because the <laughs> overlap between Ren Fair and just, like, fantasy LARPing is heavy. Yeah, and we were all a little confused if this was just a show or not. Were they in costume, or were they just in wedding clothes? Costume. Everyone was in costume, including some elf ears and things of that nature. I knew that was going to be a thing. <laughs> yes. So not a human wedding, perhaps. Well, I can't remember elf ears on the bride and groom. And it was just bizarre. And I was kind of like, this honestly seems really fun. But I'd hate to have tourists in the background of my wedding who are all getting drunk off of cheap wine and beer. And, like, you can't control the costumes people are in, so the pictures have to be very artfully framed. But then, later when it started to rain, we ran into one of the nearest taverns, and it turned out to be the smoking tavern. And that is where they were having the reception. And they all sang... <laughs> That's because they were smoking a hog for the reception feast, right? No, they were just smoking packs on packs of cigarettes. And then they also sang the entirety of Bohemian Rhapsody acapella. Like, every... <laughs> Wedding wait, wait. guest. Acapella as in with no instruments, or acapella as in they had arranged harmonies? <laughs> um, was this regionals? They they tried to make it regionals, but they were not good. They sang like three songs in a row, but Bohemian Rhapsody was by far the most egregious, because that song is like seven minutes long. It ain't short. And that's when I fully turned on the idea and said, okay, so it truly is only the worst people that would do this. And that's why your wedding will be held at a medieval times, where it's a little more organized. If I could hold my wedding at a medieval times, Will, I would. I'd be thrilled. Just imagine riding down the aisle on a horse holding a lance. I mean, look, there is some price point at which you can do this. I mean, there's a price point at which you can do almost anything. And I think it would probably be shockingly cheap to have a wedding at medieval times. Yeah. But you would not get a fun experience of, like, a private area, access to the field. There would be just people at a medieval times who had gotten married. Yeah. That would and be isn't that best. what it's all about? That or you would be, like, the lord and lady of the evening and get to sit in a throne. In which case, I'm back on board. 
when I was in high school and I was in the band, we would like go on a band trip every year or we like go to some city and like perform and like do touristy things. And my junior year, we went to Toronto and we went to medieval times there. That's my only medieval times experience was in Canada. And I had this like running bit where every year on the band trip, I would tell servers at some restaurant that it was our band director's birthday and make a big show of it. And that was the year that we were like, well, we're at medieval times. Like this is the move. And so I found the host at medieval times. They made me pay him 10 Canadian dollars to get the birthday announced. What? So I handed over nearly a dozen loonies and in exchange, at the end of the night at Medieval Times, a man rode out on a horse and announced that it was the birthday of our director, at which point I produced a crown and a Maryland Snuggie and enrobed him. Okay, that's worth $10. Yeah. Eight American, or however much the exchange rate is. So I know that we are telling wedding stories, but... If I can go on a slight tangent, you have inspired me. I think I need to tell the greatest birthday story I have ever experienced. Are loonies involved? To be clear, I use paper <laughs> money, but I think loonies are funny as a name. Um, Are we talking loonies as in money or loonies as in people? Either way, as long as the word appears in the story. Uh, I'll do my best. So I live in the same town as a close friend of mine from undergrad. Is that town Washington, D.C.? Yes. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know how we approach location. In this. Well, we've been very clear that it's where we live. But yeah. I could be recording remotely. Okay, so I live in D.C. Good friend of mine from undergrad just, also lives in The D.C. idea of you saying town is what really made me confused. Hashtag this town, am I right? I reside in the same uh, municipal district. district as a good friend of mine from undergrad. And uh, another key piece of information is that her birthday is a couple days after my dad's birthday. So a few years ago, my dad came to D.C. to celebrate his birthday with me, just visit for his birthday. And this friend was also having a birthday oh, party. Oh, I know where this is going. On my dad's birthday. So the plan was that he and I were going to have a nice dinner together, get some pie, and then he was going to go to bed and I was going to go to the party. This friend is absolutely lovely, is a little bit reserved, doesn't love having tons of attention, doesn't love big surprises, you know, just likes to have a sense of what's going on. And yet, for some reason, on this birthday, not one, not two, not three, but four different people from her life decided to come to D.C. to surprise her. And they all revealed themselves at different times throughout the day before and the day of her party. She was not thrilled, from what I understand. She was happy to see them, not thrilled about the surprises, but was being a good sport about it. So fast forward, I show up to her apartment about an hour after the party has started because I was out with my dad. Mm -hmm. And as I'm walking up, a group of about five people comes up behind me and I see them punch in her apartment number on the box outside the building. And I said to them, oh, the box is actually broken, but I saw that you punched this number. Are you 
here for so-and-so's party? They said, yes. I said, okay, great. I just texted her because I just got here. She's on the way down. And they Mm -hmm. said, oh, sure. Okay. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't know these people, but maybe it's a group of coworkers who all went out to have dinner together or have drinks together before this party. And then I notice one of them is wearing a shirt from our university. And we've been out of school for a few years, but I think to myself, I know all of her friends from college. Maybe not literally everyone, but if there's a group of five people who are all her friends, I definitely would know at least one of them. Mm -hmm. As I'm pondering this, she gets down, opens the door to her apartment, and looks at them and clearly has no idea who they are. And they say, hi, we're here for the party. And she says, (laughs) what? And they say, your mom sent us. What? To be clear, her mom was one of the four people who had surprised her for her birthday and is now attending her birthday party that she had. So she says, okay, she's clearly weirded out. We're walking up to her apartment, kind of looking at each other like, what's going on? We walk inside and I immediately see her mom who says, Rachel, I didn't realize what time you were getting here. If I'd known, I would have told you not to text her to come down and get you. And I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. Meanwhile, my friend is asking her mom what the heck is happening. And her mom basically says, you know, just give it a minute. All will be revealed in time. And now, Mark, I'm going to pause the story and ask you, what do you think this group of people was doing there? They were all eligible bachelors. Close. It was an acapella group from our university. To be clear. I think my Not one of the good ones. (laughs) Oh, no. Since we all went to the same school, uh, Mark, I can tell you, it was the- The worst one, maybe? (laughs) (laughs) Her mom had gone through, I think, seven other groups to get to that one. Well, yeah, no one starts with the- (laughs) Okay, but yeah, cut that part out. (laughs) So- I mean, we can just have, like, a beep over the name and Mark going the worst one. <laughs> well, it'll be. Yeah. Anyway, they made her sit down. They were in a semicircle around her singing. I was directly behind her, and I could tell from the back of her head how uncomfortable she was. Like, again, not a person who likes surprises, had already been surprised four times, and suddenly an acapella group. She's not even that into acapella. Like, she... Maybe attended one concert during senior parents weekend the entire time we were in college. But for some reason, her mom decided that uh, this was the way to celebrate her birthday. And it is my favorite story of all time. So, Mark, speaking of your wedding. William, (laughs) if an acapella person walks in, it's over. Not just any acapella person. If the show up this podcast is canceled and i will scrub it from the internet (laughs) uh, to be clear uh one that's why we're banking up episodes ahead of time uh number two you don't know how to scrub this from the internet you barely know where it is it is on apple podcasts spotify stitcher that's an rss feed you don't know where it comes from anchor Okay, you do know where it comes from. (laughs) I do know where it comes from because it's the free one that is advertised on podcasts I listen to. Um, Speaking of surprise music. Oh, no. Mark, I don't know if you know this story because this happened while you were in jolly old England. Okay. In the fall of 2019, the last wedding I attended before the pandemic, 
was like a backyard wedding, but in like a big backyard, mm-hmm. like in the countryside. And like, it had like its unique aesthetic, like the reception was in a tent, but it was like a good tent. The wedding was like under like a big willow tree and like the bride was wearing a, a purple tie-dye dress and the groom was wearing a purple tie-dye vest. Can okay. I pause for an important question? If all of this was outside, how did people use the restroom? As a very well hydrated person, this is the thing I stress out a lot about. They had the most luxurious bathroom trailer I have ever seen. <laughs> what? Like a Wonder Garden bathroom trailer? I think nicer. Oh my god. It was like all wood paneled inside. Oh, dang. Money. Now, one of the other advantages of this wedding being outside is that it was easy to walk away from the copious amounts of weed being smoked. That tracks with the purple tie-dye. Yes. So, it takes them a while to take photos because some people are insisting on smoking weed and some people don't want to be around the weed while the photos are being taken. That's not important. Eventually, everybody gets in the tent for the reception. And the dads of the bride and groom get up and they say, Hey, um... You know, we're so excited that everyone's here. We're so excited for the bride and groom. And before we get underway with food, we want to hand things over to your Uncle Steve. At which point, Uncle Steve gets up. Uncle Steve has been working the room while everyone was taking photos, just, like, doing, like, close-up card tricks with people. And I was just like, all right, whatever. It is quickly revealed that Uncle Steve is not an uncle, and as far as I know, his name might not be Steve. Uncle Steve is a magician who has been hired by the dads to do a magic show. (laughs) For the bride and groom at the start of their wedding reception. How did they react? This was a surprise? Yes, they did did, not know about this. How did they react to this? I mean, they seemed into it. This feels like something, someone who's on a really bad trip, (laughs) which odds are at least one person there was, would not take well. So the magic show happens. The magic show is longer than the wedding. To be fair, the wedding was under 10 minutes. When it wraps up, the dads take the microphone back from Uncle Steve, who is not an uncle. And they announce, so glad everyone enjoyed that. That is not the last surprise of the night. Oh, God. We then, like, have a nice dinner. There's, like, a food truck with some good food. We're all having a lovely time. And then, as the night is clearly about to transition to dancing, I'm outside, like, waiting for more food from this food truck. When I see, gathering behind the tent, a bunch of dudes in very specific wigs. (sighs) And I luckily get my food in time to go into the tent. Just in time for the introduction of The Beat Tells, New Jersey's number one Beatles cover band. Uh, No. (laughs) If there are surprises at my wedding, I will never forgive who surprises me. At this point, they are are in uh, Sgt. Pepper's outfits. There was a full costume change later on when they celebrated the anniversary of Abbey Road by changing into Abbey Road costumes. So this was a surprise musical guest. This was a surprise Beatles cover band. about their actual music they booked? I I think the plan, if I remember correctly, was just to have a playlist run off an iPod. Oh, okay. So, look, I'll say this. The beat tells are New Jersey's number one Beatles cover band for a reason. They put on a good show. That's fun. But it just became this night of me watching one thing happen after another, and it, it was pretty great. Wow. Um, I don't think I would emotionally handle that situation well. <laughs> that sounds pretty intense. But I'm, I'm hoping that the dads knew the people enough to know that they'd be able to handle it. It seemed that way. But I did not know the people super well because I was a plus one at this wedding. <laughs> Yikes. 
Oh my god. It sounds fun. I kind of wish I had the opportunity to attend a wedding like that. Look, I had a good time. If any of you listeners out there have a Ren Fair wedding and want to invite me, I would absolutely say yes. We will do a bonus episode on your Ren Fair wedding. Like a live episode. <laughs> a commentary. You will be the guest of honor. The love story we analyze in five points is your love story. It will lose points because your wedding is at a wedding fair. <laughs> I feel like if you all ever set up a Patreon, you should offer as the highest option that you will analyze the person's love story as if it is a movie and give five points of romance and then do all the end of podcast questions about <laughs> that couple or that person. Maybe it's not a couple. Maybe they... Or single, I don't know. I think that, do you think these people will stay together would be really awkward. The answer would always be yes. How much money do I need to pay you all on Patreon for you to analyze my love life as if it is a movie? Based off the number of expected Patreon subscribers we would get, we could price that at about $2 and do it (laughs) once. (laughs) Um, What if I pay you in loonies? (laughs) Well, just one toonie will be fine. Speaking of toonies. Speaking of toonies. Wow, that was a good one, Will. I mean, this is what I do. (laughs) Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is a podcast dedicated to examining the very least important issue facing the world today. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even capable of not yelling in that way for like one movie? I mean, (laughs) come on. I, I don't know. I... I think kind of in this one. He does the yell. Yeah. Otherwise, he is good. But we'll get into this. Uh, It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are joined by our good friend Rachel to talk about the 1998 Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore rom-com, The Wedding Singer. Hello. I am so excited to be back. I love weddings. It is... One of my family's favorite things to make fun of me for that I frequently will unwind at the end of a long day by watching strangers' wedding videos on YouTube. I love that stories about weddings. That's I love new to me. <laughs> oh, Mark. If you, I don't know if you're planning on having a videographer at your wedding, but I would be happy to give you pointers on what to look for when examining their portfolios. He's just going to let a like local indie film steal shots and then cut in the stuff that he wants. We will not be paying for a videographer. I see. Well, I respect that decision because based on my research, and when I say research, I mean, I have watched hours of wedding videos. I've been doing this since I was a teenager. I love wedding videos. The potential of monetization is new and maybe worth reconsidering. No, if you are uh, getting a videographer, you need to decide it as one of the most important parts of your wedding because bad wedding videos are bad. Yeah, I mean, my mom has admitted to having never watched her wedding tape and it was recommended not paying for it because you will look at pictures, but watching a video is a lot more of a commitment. But yeah, I didn't also, you realize have all of YouTube there. Yeah, I didn't realize there was strangers out there who would watch it on YouTube and maybe. No, Hello. I just meant like I just meant like you're choosing to watch the wedding video. You also have like Charlie the Unicorn right there on your TV too. I'm just throwing it out there, listeners who are having a run fair wedding. Will and Mark 
apparently are going to go do an episode about you. Listeners who are getting married and looking into a videographer, reach out to the podcast account. They can put you in touch with me. I am more than happy to walk you through what you should be looking for in a videographer. Having never had a wedding videographer myself, I still consider myself an expert. Alternatively, if you already have a wedding video, please hit me up. I will watch it. I will then watch every other video in your videographer's YouTube or Vimeo portfolio. <laughs> I ha- I have an email that I sent to my own. No, <laughs> I don't know that I want to say this on the Continue. podcast, actually. I have an email that I send to myself where I keep a list of my favorite ones. So if I don't feel like covering new ground, I can just go back into the email and click on links. <laughs> it feels a little creepy now because... Since I started doing this, some of those videos have been made private, so I can still watch them because I have the link, but they are no longer available to the public, and I'm not sure if that means I should stop watching them, but some of them are great wedding videos, Are you the direct cause of people privatizing their videos? It is me. So what are I am the reason. So what are the components of a great wedding video? Okay, so the first thing you need to consider is do you want it to be a music only video or do you want there to be speaking interspersed? And if you want there to be speaking, what specifically is important to you? Vows, toasts. If you're having a first look, do you want to be mic'd for that? Other general vibe things too, like my favorite type of wedding video is one that has three distinct parts, a getting ready, a ceremony, and a reception. It's important to have a videographer who can do those transitions smoothly. That said, I think any more than three distinct parts, specifically three distinct background songs as the video is going, probably too much. I watched one recently, not recently. It came out a few months ago. Well, uh, it came out a few months ago. I've watched it many times since then. Um, If anyone is familiar with the YouTube influencers, Brooklyn and Bailey, (laughs) Bailey got married and... Her wedding video, I think, has five distinct songs. That's too much, man. It is too much. Like, there are a lot of tonal shifts. And so the transitions are important. You don't want it to feel like too much of a tonal shift. But also, you don't want there to be too many transitions, period. Obviously, just videography skills are important, too. I've seen some that had very weird coloring, very weird angles, not very good sound mixing. Honestly, as I think about it, listening to this podcast has been great for my wedding video viewing because you all sometimes talk about the elements of filmmaking. And I am realizing now that it now affects how I watch wedding videos, which is fantastic because that just gives me even more credibility as an expert. Like, have you considered creating like a blog or a TikTok or something where you review wedding videos? Absolutely not. These are strangers wedding videos. That would be so creepy. Like like a star rating, you review them as films? Well, no, because so I will be honest. Start these on Letterboxd. In over, (laughs) I'm going to make my own Letterboxd equivalent but it's for wedding videos could you partner with the knot like they have a big database of people getting married i should look into monetizing this you're right but no so something that is important to me i like to analyze them and judge them and i can be pretty judgmental on my own time but i would never tell people getting married i guess there's an off chance that Bailey will listen to this podcast, in which case... Seems, I'm, seems unlikely. I'm sorry that I said she is a YouTube influencer with, like, 
hundreds of thousands of followers. Oh, so about the same as us. Also, actually, <laughs> her twin sister just got engaged. I'm already excited for that wedding video. I have watched the proposal video. I have watched the proposal behind the scenes video that then inspired me to watch the twin sister Bailey's proposal behind the scenes video again. So then obviously I had to watch the wedding behind the scenes video again. To be quite honest, all of this happened during lunch today. Like it's fresh in my mind. <laughs> I thought Nick spending his time watching reviews of airplanes on <laughs> YouTube was a weird use of time. Yeah, I don't spread this around a lot, but I love weddings. Sometimes when I'm visiting my parents, if my mom and I want to spend time together, but we're not sure what to do, we just look up wedding videos and watch them together. Anyway, I would never tell the people getting married that their wedding video is bad because if they are happy with it, then that is fantastic. There was once a time, this was during the pandemic, that I posted in a Facebook group that I'm in that is primarily women. There are some men, there are some non-binary folks, but like very heavily women. I am having a rough time with everything that's going on. Make me feel better and share your wedding video with me which was a fantastic move on my part. I got, I think, like 14 new ones, which then introduced me to new portfolios because I, normally it's, you know, someone I know gets married, they post their wedding video on Facebook and that's how I find their videographer. I can go to their profile and watch their videos. But that means it's people from my hometown, people who went to college with me. So it's only certain localities. So like this post in a Facebook group is you know, this making it relevant to the movie, this post in a Facebook group is how I broke into the New Jersey wedding video portfolio set because nobody I knew has gotten married and gotten it videotaped in New Jersey. So I just didn't know any good New Jersey videographers. That's a, some of those videos were bad. Like they were not good, but every single person who commented a link to their wedding video, I said something along the lines of, thank you so much. This was beautiful. It looks like you had a wonderful day. I loved watching this. Would it be fair to classify these as lies? You're just trying to get a date. No. I mean, we're on the lookout. Sure. I I don't think so because I was saying, I was focusing more on how wonderful the day looked, which they generally did. Even if you videotape it or edit it poorly. I don't Do you use videotape when everything is digital? Um, No, you just record it. Okay. So if poorly recorded, poorly edited, that doesn't mean the day was any worse. So did I anyone don't think it was a ever respond to your comment and say, thank you. It was actually terrible and we're divorced now. Because that would be really fun. I should go back because this was in mid-2020. I should go back to the post and follow up and say like, hey, everyone. Are you all still together? Just check in on your relationship statuses. Has anyone gotten divorced and remarried? Do you have a new video for me? Hey, everyone. uh, Wanted to drop this link to my new blog where I review wedding (laughs) videos. I put all of yours on. I'm just saying, if you all ever run out of movies to talk about romance, YouTube and Vimeo wedding videos could be your next uh, summit to scale. What's that phrase? I mean, that made sense. Great. Could be your next summit to scale. Maybe if Renee Zellweger posts her wedding video on YouTube, we will do a special episode. We would do an emergency episode on that. But Rachel, have you seen The Wedding Singer before? I have such a history with this movie. Well, just real quick, I have none, so... Yeah, I watched this for the first time on HBO on, like, Monday. I watched it for the first time about six hours ago. Well, I would say that I saw this movie for the first time when I was seven years old on a plane to Europe. 
but my mom told me I was not allowed to listen to it because it was inappropriate. I was only allowed to watch it. For context for our younger listeners, who do exist, um, congratulations to you, younger listeners. You exist. In the past, airplanes would show just one movie, sometimes just on one screen at the front, like on a bus. And you would plug headphones into a jack in the armrest, and that's how you could listen to the movie that was playing. So that was what was happening, and it was a long flight. I was bored. I tried to haggle with my mom and ask if I could listen to it but not watch it, and she said no. Because I was trying to figure out, is it that I can't do both at the same time, but it doesn't matter which one? And she said, no, you may not listen to this. So I watched it. It's a pretty visually interesting movie, especially if you don't know what's going on. So I watched it and then I then made my mom recap the entire plot of it to me. And I was seven, which meant it was another, I don't know, five or seven years until I was actually allowed to watch it. But I was so thrilled. I watched it. It lived up to my memory as a seven-year-old of how good it was. And... There is another pivotal aspect of this movie from watching it with my mom while we were folding laundry. It was on TV from when I was about 15. And I think it'll make more sense in context as we go through the plot of the movie if I bring this up. But this is a movie that has loomed large in my life since a very young age. And so I like to think that I would have been pulled in as a guest just because of my love of weddings, but apparently I don't advertise that enough. But as I think when you all did your Billy Madison episode, I reached out to Will and said, hey, obviously Billy Madison is a very different Sandler, but if you ever do The Wedding Singer, I absolutely must be the guest and I have a story about it that will make it worth your while. And that story is coming up later in the episode. So we're continuing to tease that. Um Yeah, Mark, we talked about Adam Sandler last August when we did our Billy Madison episode. Uh, Where are you on The Wedding Singer? I thought this movie was very fun. It is a quintessential rom-com. As in, like, exactly a rom-com. Adam Sandler is doing, like, toned-down, entertaining Adam Sandler. Drew Barrymore is doing Drew Barrymore. And then they fall in love. He was a lot more likable in this than in Billy Madison. I just, I don't know, every time he switches into the yell that he does, I always just get turned off. But then he'd reel me back in. Yeah, I think this is, like, a very charming Sandler for the most part. Where, like, if this was Adam Sandler's movie star persona with, like, this level of the yelling, like, I think I would be on board. Mm -hmm. I will say, the running joke of George only knowing, do you really want to hurt me? Every time I did laugh. It gets funnier every time. It gets funnier every time. (laughs) And that's where I think this movie is legitimately quite funny. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's charming about that is that, like, the characters earnestly find each other funny. Like, unlike a lot of bad rom-coms, like, you really do get a sense that Robbie and Julia have a good time together. Like, it's not trying to entice us with, like, wow, they don't get along. It's just like, no, these are people who, like, have fun together and make each other laugh, and that's why they're attracted to each other. I think it's a really sweet movie. And it manages to dodge, you know, it has a pretty standard structure, but it dodges a lot of the annoying parts for me, largely by having, like, the most repugnant other man who's ever existed. Yes, I did appreciate not having someone who was even on the fence of rooting for... Yeah. He just sucks. 
It's funny because I was reading a little bit about the production of this, and Carrie Fisher did a rewrite of this movie, uncredited. And by all accounts, a decent amount of her rewrite didn't make it in, which normally I would be skeptical of because Carrie Fisher is a great screenwriter. But allegedly, her version did a lot to beef up the character of Julia, which is good. You mm-hmm. compare this to Billy Madison, like Julia is much more of a person than the female lead is a generous term of Billy Madison. But Carrie Fisher also was like doing a lot of work to to humanize characters. And so like Glenn is much less horrible in her version and like isn't openly cheating on Julia and bragging about it. And I'm like, no, I think I think the movie kind of needs that. I think it needs this like horrible, horrible person at its center of it, of the romance. And in part why that works is just because Julia has kind of a miserable life. She's like this this bright, winsome Drew Barrymore person who has just like settled for a piece of crap because she's like, well, this is what I get. And because of her terrible mother. Right. Her horrible mother who advises her to fake a pregnancy to speed an engagement along. But like, I think something that's charming about it, especially for something that is set in the 80s and not that long after, it's 1998. Is like, yeah, she has settled for the horrible guy and she comes to decide like, you know what, I can get better than this. And it's the fact that like, these are characters whose lives are viewed as a success, who find success together, but neither of them is like traditionally financially successful. Like Mm -hmm. she dumps Wall Street bro, but not for a guy who like, whoops at the end of the movie, his invention goes huge and now he's a millionaire. Like he's just like the wedding singer. Billy Idol did say he would pass his information on to a record label. Yes, but, like, this guy writes, like, like he's not going to become Billy Idol. No. I do want to say, I was thinking about how they said it in the 80s, in 1998, and I was like, hmm, that would put us, like, smack dab in the middle of the twee hipster era, if we were to do the same time. And I kind of want to see it. Of the wedding singer who only sings songs that you wouldn't have heard of. It would be set during the second Obama term. <laughs> yeah, it would be no, uh, 13 years. Oh, okay, 2009. 2009, yeah. yeah. So right after Obama takes over. I think it would be hilarious to do that exaggerated level that they do of the 80s, including just dressing Glenn up as the Miami Vice guy at a not-costume party. Well, we are specifically told he's obsessed with Miami Vice. He scheduled his wedding for this summer so that the show would be in reruns. It's so funny. So they're like, at the that party, worst. someone's like, Glenn, if you go on a honeymoon, you're going to miss Miami Vice. He's like, nah, nah, nah. August, reruns. He is the worst. I love how bad he is. He has a mirror for a headboard, presumably so he can watch himself have sex. Oh, it's been so long since we've seen a good, terrible movie guy. Other man, that's the word I'm thinking. He's just cartoonishly bad. Yeah. Like, so bad. I loved it so much. Glenn Gulia. Julia Gulia. <laughs> Julia Gulia is the kind of joke that is, like, stupidly simple, but it just works. Yeah. If the movie was weak in any way, that wouldn't land. But because it's charming enough around it, it was hilarious. I'm trying to figure out how to phrase it well. I think what what's effective about The Wedding Singer, and especially effective about its deployment of Sandler, is that it feels like the first time that Adam Sandler, the movie star, 
is in a movie where he is properly an adult. Where, like, the whole joke of Billy Madison is that he's this arrested development kind of guy. He's this man who is a child, you know? And then Happy Gilmore and, like, even his character in Mixed Nuts is, like, just this weird dude who's, like, not even properly an adult. And in The Wedding Singer, Robbie... All of his concerns are adult concerns. It's like, can I continue engaging in this career that I love? Like, can I keep teaching this old woman piano? Like, I want to be married. My fiancé left me at the altar. And so I think that inclines me to give a little more latitude to the limited, like, loud Sandler stuff than in something like Billy Madison where I find it annoying because in here it's balanced out with, like, a character that feels like in a comedy movie, yes, but, like, an actual adult who's engaging with those kinds of things. And and behave, like, his relationship then is based not on, like, weird meet-cutes, but on, like, enjoying spending time with someone. It's honestly rare to see a rom-com where people laugh at the jokes that they make. And you get that in When Harry Met Sally, too. And it's a big part of why you think, oh, these people actually would enjoy spending time together. And, like, it's this movie. It's it's not the Billy Madison or the Waterboy. The Waterboy comes out the same year as this. I have not seen that one. But, like, it's the wedding singer that, like, Paul Thomas Anderson and Noah Baumbach and the Safties are latching onto when they're like, oh, there's something else there with Adam Sandler. Like, there's something else you can play with. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think you get Punch Drunk Love without the wedding singer. No. I think... I watch Billy Madison and I do think, like, how did he get cast in good movies? And this helps to bridge that gap. It was very fun. I enjoyed it more than I expected to, honestly. It's a good time. And it's a good time coming from, like, the classic Sandler crew. Like, it's starring him. It's directed by Frank Carassi, who's part of his, like, NYU circle. And here's the thing. Like, you look at the other Frank Carassi, Adam Sandler movies. The other ones are The Waterboy, Click, Blended, and The Ridiculous Six. How did this happen? (laughs) And, like, this one is written by Tim Hurley, who we talked about on Billy Madison, because he wrote that, and Tim Hurley, he writes, like, all of the Adam Sandler movies. Where did this come from? I, I don't really know. I know Drew Barrymore has talked over and over again, because she's made three movies with Sandler. This is the first one. That in, like, the late 90s, as she's coming back, she's coming out of her, like, scandal years. We've talked about this before. That she reached out to Adam Sandler and said, we are cinematic soulmates. We must make a movie together. And just, like... Not in an obnoxious way, but just kind of, like, kept poking him to be like, we gotta come up with something. And then Hurley, he writes The Wedding Singer uh, with Sandler. Like, Sandler had the idea to do something about a wedding singer. And then Hurley, he was like, I want to set it in the 1980s and wrote it from there. I do think by the 90s, the concept of a wedding singer being, like, cool at all was fading. Yeah. I will say... Like, we've been liking this movie. Also, shout out to the Hurleyhe family. Tim Hurleyhe's son, Martin, is one of the members of Please Don't Destroy, which I have become mildly obsessed with since they joined Saturday Night Live this season. Uh, I've not... I don't know what you're talking about, really, but... They're like an internet sketch comedy team that got hired as SNL writers, and they regularly get to just, like, produce shorts to air Ah, during the SNL episodes. That makes sense. Are they the group who did that video that went viral about the alternative Russian vaccine? Yes. Okay. My favorite of theirs is one about a workplace that's instituting Casual Friday, but someone misheard it and thought it was Jazz Friday and got really excited. Oh, I think I know who these people are. Yeah, they're great. What was I going to say about this movie? Something 
really wise, I'm sure. Was it about the fact that volume one of the Wedding Singer soundtrack went double platinum? No, but I'm not surprised. The music was very good. Volume 2 did not go platinum, which is a shame. Well, I wonder... I Now I need to investigate which songs are on which. I really thought the only problem I had with this movie was a very repeated use of fat people and ugly people as the butt of a joke. I agree with that. I feel like this movie, more than a lot of movies that came out in the mid to late 90s, holds up pretty well, but the kind of fat and ugly people as a punchline really graded. And I think graded so much because a lot of the things that bother me in 90s movies were not as present, so it felt like that stood out more. It's a movie that, other than that, has a really big heart. Right, like, there's no real homophobia. I mean, there's no people of any other races, so you don't deal with a lot of racism issues. As I don't think there are any non-white people on screen ever. I can't think of any. But it's, like, so many fat jokes. And it's, like, I guess the point they're trying to make, if you were to ask the writers, is they're trying to say, oh, fat people deserve love, too but boy, should we make fun of them along the way. But besides that, it does come up more than you want it to. I do think, like, yeah, I mean, we're saying, like, the movie is surprisingly better on a lot of fronts. Even I even feel like George is handled very well. Where, like, the joke with George is never anything really about George's appearance or anything like that. The joke is, George knows one song. Yeah, that is honestly the best joke you could do for that character. Yeah. I think it's it's really well handled, and it lets the performer be funny, as opposed to the performer being the butt of the joke. I don't think anyone in the movie is really, like, set up to laugh at George for being, you know, for dressing the way George does, or anything like that. It The joke is really just, they are extremely excited about everything, but they only know one song. Look, if it works, it works. And the, no, Will, it never works. And that's the best part. Well, it always worked for me. <laughs> no one is ever happy to hear that song. And that's what makes it even better. Because Robbie knows this and yet continues to let George sing that song at every performance. Because he's got too big a heart. He had a, he had a Grinch backstory and his heart is th- two sizes too big. Oh, wow. Um, the Wedding Singer opened on February 13th, 1998, right there, Valentine's weekend. It opened in second place behind week nine of Titanic with $21 million. It ultimately made $80 million domestic, which was more than Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore combined. Wow. This is really the movie that made Adam Sandler a movie star. Okay. It also opened ahead of Sphere, Goodwill Hunting, as it just kept gradually expanding on the road to the Oscars, As Good As It Gets, and The Borrowers. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I said, it kind of it kind of made Sandler's career in a year where he had a one-two punch with the Waterboy coming out later on. I am glad that this is what launched it, like to the next level, because it is always nice when it is a good movie. Yeah. Um. Cool. All right. So, should we start talking about the romance of this movie? There is almost nothing else to the plot besides George. But but George was an important part to discuss. Yes. And we checked that box. All right, box checked, let's go. All right, so every week we break down the romantic plotline into five points to help guide conversation. 
Rachel, as our guest, will you take us to point one of five themed points I noticed? I would love to. Yes, I was trying to kind of theme them around a song because given that the movie is about a wedding singer, this felt appropriate. So verse one, we're just starting out. So it's the status quo, so to speak. I just got off the phone with Linda's mom. Linda's not there, but there was a note. A note? Everything all right? Yeah, she's okay. It basically indicated that Linda was not coming today. So it was a bad note. Did she say why? Julia has just moved to Ridgefield, New Jersey. In 1985. In 1985. And she is working for a catering company along with her cousin, Holly, who seems to have been around for a while. And her first event is a wedding. And at this wedding, the singer is Robbie Hart, who is the cream of the crop. I guess, like, the Beat Tells are the premier Beatles cover band of New Jersey. Robbie Hart is the premier wedding singer of New Jersey. So they meet each other at this wedding. We also meet Robbie's best friend, Sammy, who's the limo driver. And we meet Steve Buscemi as a belligerent drunk best man. And we meet Cousin Holly, who's catering as well. And most importantly, George who, as we've discussed, is, I don't know if George's, I guess, backup musician is the right... Keyboardist and backing vocals. But also plays trombone at one point, if I remember correctly. (laughs) Every time George (laughs) switches instruments, it gets funnier. And multi-instrumentalist. George is an icon. For what it's worth, George's look is very specifically based on Boy George. And when Alexis Arquette died like 10 years ago or something. Boy George posted a very lovely tribute to them. That's so nice. Yeah. So at this wedding, a couple of things, as Will said, Steve Buscemi is the drunk best man and brother of the groom. He is totally wasted. He is drinking Black Label and gives this horrible speech that among other things... I think either heavily implies or straight out says that the groom has cheated on his now wife earlier in their relationship. Yeah. (laughs) And Robbie steps in and kind of saves the day. Because he's good at what he does. Yeah, gets him to go outside and then gives a really nice little speech about how he Mm -hmm. is getting married the next week. And he's really looking forward to having the same kind of love that the couple getting married clearly shares this scene in particular reminded me of a movie that i think is coming out later this year but premiered at sundance called cha-cha real smooth oh that movie's good it's gonna be on apple in june great um it's about a guy who after college becomes a professional party starter for ba and bar mitzvahs but just The way that Adam Sandler approaches tying the party together, I guess, and making sure that it flows the way it needs to is 
such a skill. And I think it's a skill that people don't always recognize because if it's done well, you don't even notice it's happening. And I feel like a similar thing occurs in this movie, Cha-Cha Real Smooth, which everyone should see. Dakota Johnson is great in it. So yeah, watch it on Apple in June, I guess. If we're recommending movies, uh, this episode comes out in like three days. Ambulance is good. I gotta say, ambulance rules. Oh my god. But yeah, I mean, there's a reason why Robbie is the most requested and John Lovitz, also uncredited, is thrilled when he quits the game. Okay, I was gonna bring this up later, but if we're talking John Lovitz, I gotta talk about this now. Mark, before we, like, while I was eating dinner tonight, do you know what I watched? I do not. I watched the time John Lovitz reprised this role. In what? In a season six episode of The Goldbergs. Oh my god. The ABC sitcom set in the 1980s about a family loosely inspired by the creator's childhood. Oh my god. The episode titled The Wedding Singer is vaguely set during the events of this movie. (laughs) Including, like, the mom who has, like, the C-plot of the episode is putting together the wedding, and, like, the one thing she's still gotta do is scout out a wedding singer. And so, like, there are shots of her, like, watching Robbie when he's, like, doing the bar mitzvah, and then she goes and she sees John Lovitz perform Ladies' Night. She hires John Lovitz because Robbie's out of the game. And then at the end of the episode, they're on the plane where Robbie proposes to Drew Barrymore. It's super weird because it does not serve the episode at all. And you're like, you had 21 minutes and you keep showing us a movie for some reason. That's so bizarre. It's so strange. I have never heard of anything like it. And I mean, like, at the end, I learned that The Goldbergs is a Happy Madison production. So there's a connection there. But nonetheless, what's going on? Why did they do this? I don't think we will ever know. I need Vulture to do a deep dive into this four-year-old episode of the Goldbergs for me. They would, though. Yeah. I just need Catherine Van Arendonk to decide she's interested in it. Okay, so Robbie's getting married to Linda. Yes. So Robbie and Julia meet at this wedding where they are both working when she goes outside to get some air and Robbie is helping take care of this kid who was given alcohol clearly for the first time and is now just vomiting his brains out because he's having a hard time with it. And they have a cute little conversation on the stoop. As Will said earlier, it seems like they just like each other and get along well. Um, Another thing that I want to bring up about this wedding. Well, number one, Sammy, the best friend limo driver, makes a point of talking about how he is going to sleep with Julia. And honestly, it's pretty creepy. But... He drops it as soon as he finds out that she is engaged, which I guess is good. And Julia later finds out about this and is very chill about it. But I don't know. I feel like Sammy otherwise is portrayed as a promiscuous but very nice guy. But the way he talks about Julia in the very beginning, I did think was a little creepy. I think Sammy is a surprisingly fun and, like, character that works. Yes, especially because, like, when he's introduced this way, you're like, oh, no, are we going to have a whole movie of this guy? And he comes, they, like, characterize him a bit too strong at the beginning. I get what they were trying to do. It comes off too strong. 
But I do like that he actually is, like, a nice guy who is unfulfilled with his lifestyle and gets drunk and admits it. Yeah, I agree with that. One of my favorite moments is when he forces Sammy to do a limo racetrack, like, obstacle course. (laughs) (laughs) Those cones that you hit, they could have been guests. They could have been family members. We find out that Julia is indeed engaged to Glenn, but they've been engaged for a couple of years now. Two years. A very normal amount of time to be engaged. Yeah, but Glenn will not set a date. A less normal time to have not set a date. It sounds like she needs to give him an ultimatum to marry or move on. Have you watched that? I have seen almost every episode. Why? Because my fiance was watching it. I, so I started with episode three, is the thing. I've, I saw every episode from three through the reunion. So there were people at the reunion that I didn't know because they, like, quit at the beginning of it. They were like, we're just going to get married now and not go through this whole thing. I am so surprised you have seen a trashy reality show that I have not watched yet. Did I play a lot of the Marvel mobile game that I have on my phone while I watched? Sure. But could I tell you about the characters? Yes, I could. Wow. I does it I guess it's reality, so it's harder to do a special episode about it. Yeah, it doesn't work in quite the same way. It just feels like there's a lot to talk about in there. Anyway, so Robbie is marrying Linda next week, and this comes up again when he is giving a singing lesson to I didn't write down her name. What is the old lady's name? I don't know, the old lady. Rapping grandma. As she is credited on her Wikipedia page, where it says she is known for playing the rapping grandma in The Wedding Rosie. Singer. Her name is Rosie. Yeah, that's her. Her Wikipedia photo is her rapping in this movie. So he is giving a singing lesson to Rosie. Who pays him in large meatballs. But sometimes she doesn't have a Tupperware, so she just puts them directly into his hand. The bit where... She's given him a big meatball in each hand and then it holds his hand and just squeezes them increasingly tightly. That's good bit. So I promised you all a story when this episode started. And the story comes with this scene with Rosie. She's talking to him about how excited she is for him that he is about to marry Linda. And she asks him if he is nervous. And he says, no, It's all been planned well. I feel pretty good about it. And she says, no, not for the wedding, for the wedding night. And Robbie kind of demurs and she says, don't be ashamed. You know, when I got married, I wasn't a virgin. I already had intercourse with eight men. You know, that's actually something I don't want to know about. That was a lot back then. That would be like 200 today. So, I was watching this movie with my mom when I was 14 or 15, folding laundry, and did not have a lot of context for what a normal number of sexual partners was. And so, I was listening to this, and she said, you know, I'd had sex with eight different men before I got married. Today, that would be like 200. And I said to my mom, how many would that be like today? And my mom was only really half paying attention And so she said, oh, I don't know, eight. So in my head, for about a decade of my life, from the age of 14, 15 to my mid-twenties, I thought that in the 80s, it it was as common for someone in the year, 
I don't know, 2014 to have had sex with eight different people as it was in the mid 80s for someone to have had sex with 200 different people. (laughs) I thought you basically just met someone and immediately had sex. I genuinely, into my mid 20s, thought that most people in the 80s had had multiple hundreds of sexual partners. Because you have to keep in mind, if 200 is normal, clearly there are people going into the thousands. Those are the promiscuous ones. Some people, when they get married, they've only had sex with like 80 people. They They're, saved themselves. <laughs> so for a decade, I this did not come back up until... My mom and I were watching The Wedding Singer after I had finished grad school. And I said something about, you know, this movie is how I learned. (laughs) (laughs) So you presented this back to your mom as a fact. I was like, this movie is how I learned about how much sex people had in the 80s. And she said, oh, yeah, I guess, you know, people don't have quite as much sex now. And I said, what do you mean not quite as much? It was an order of magnitude, like two orders of magnitude even higher than what people do now. And she said, what are you talking about? And I said, you said people in the 80s frequently had sex with 200 different people. And she said, Rachel, what is wrong with you that you have believed this since you were a teenager? And so I hope that that story for the two of you is enough to make this episode worth your while. Because ever since you did Billy Madison... I have just been waiting for you to cover The Wedding Singer and bring me on to talk on the podcast about how for a decade I genuinely believed that most people had had sex with a triple digit number of people in the 80s. If you had sex in the 1980s, tweeted us your number, hashtag erotic 80s, and let us know. (laughs) That hashtag is probably already busy, William. Well, that's something. We're trying to horn in on the, you must remember this audience by just having people tweet hashtag erotic 80s on a number. Using this same hashtag. Oh my god. All right. So I think that brings us to point two. Yeah. So Robbie is getting married and Julia is engaged. Yes. So point to the chorus, which... I think this is fitting because verse one of a song is setting things up, but the chorus is when you really get a sense of how the song is going to go. So this chorus is where we get the sense of how the rest of the movie is going to go for us. And it is not a chorus, but a verse of don't stop believing that a (laughs) string quartet is playing at the start of Robbie's wedding. So Julia has already told Robbie that she is catering his wedding. So she is there to see as Robbie stands listening to Don't Stop Believing for a while until his sister walks up and says, Linda is not coming to the wedding. I'm sorry. And Linda ultimately breaks up with him because he used to be a cool local rock star who licked microphones, and now he's just like a wedding singer, and she's not in love with that. The point is, I woke up this morning and I realized I'm about to marry a wedding singer? I am never going to leave Richfield. Why do you need to leave Ridgefield? We grew up here. All our friends are here. It's the perfect place to raise a family. Oh, yeah. Living in your sister's basement with five kids while you're off every weekend doing wedding gigs at a whopping 60 bucks a pop? Once again, things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday! And she has plans to leave Ridgefield, and he has no desire to 
barely move out of his sister's basement at this point. Yeah, he is, like, very settled into that life. Now, look, I think that if he got married, he intended to, like, live somewhere with Linda. Yeah. Can we just pause and say that Robbie's basement apartment is the bachelorist bachelor pad that I have seen in a while? Yeah, it certainly is. But so, yeah, so Robbie is dumped, and he's sad to the point that, like, he can't even sing at weddings anymore. Like, it breaks him up too much. There's that great... <laughs> he, wor- he works a wedding the next day. Oh, my well, God. But... Sammy shows up and says, you need to just get back on the horse. Come mm-hmm. sing at this wedding. To which I say, why had he book? I think it right. might be a week later, not the next day. But why did he book another gig for a week like, after so he gets soon. married? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so it's a disaster. He can't do this anymore. He starts giving a speech and then sings a song about how love stinks. The father of, I think the bride, punches him in the face, and he then threatens to strangle the father with his microphone cord. You know, normal wedding stuff. Yeah. That's what happens when the father of the groom has too many surprises at a wedding. Well, according to you, that is not what happens. There's just a magic show. Depends on the wedding. Isn't Julia working at that wedding? She, like, comforts him after? Yes, she is. Yeah. But while this is happening, she has ultimately managed to... Bully Glenn into setting a date for their I don't wedding. I that it's bullying. Glenn comes to her and says... Or Glenn I has bullied to... himself? He, he, yeah, acts, he, he himself. acts bullied. He does. Glenn later says that the reason he's marrying Julia is because she's paid her dues, been with me for years, I owe it to her to get married. And then later he says, plus she's been with me since before I made my money, so I know I can trust her. Yikes. He's such a bad guy. He's, like, comically terrible. So he comes to Julia and says, I booked us two plane tickets to Las Vegas. We're getting married now. And she initially acts a little disappointed, but then kind of catches herself and says, no, this is great. I'm happy with this. Sounds good. And he kind of looks at her and says, you know what? You clearly want to have a big wedding. Fine. We won't go to Vegas. Let's have the big wedding that you want. And she is overjoyed. She's so excited. They then set a date that is less than three months away, which maybe was, I don't think that was normal in the 80s. I'm thinking about it. My parents got married in the 80s. They got engaged in August and married in December. So that's four months. And that was considered a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, I think my parents were engaged for six months. In the 80s. And I think that was more normal. I don't know how long my parents were engaged for. But in this episode of the Goldbergs that I watched. (laughs) uh, The the youths who are getting married were engaged for a very short time. But I don't know that we can take that for evidence. Because it is specifically set in the universe of the wedding singer. (laughs) Oh my god. Alright. So they finally set a date. And Glenn is being bad. And he basically says you have to plan the whole thing if you want to get married. Yep. Point number three. Or rather, verse number two. So, Robbie is no longer able to engage with wedding singing, as we previously said. So, he instead is doing the bar and bar mitzvah circuit of the town. But also, as he says, there are only, what, two? I think he says three Jewish three families. Three Jewish, Jewish families. In the town, I'm going to contest that because of the comfort with which 
Robbie sings the Hebrew lyrics. We are to understand that like Adam Sandler, Robbie is Jewish. And we can see that his nephews are quite young and are not going to need a singer for a while. So he does not have a lot of work. But I like this bar mitzvah because we get to see an example of what a kind person he is where he sees a boy ask a girl to dance and the girl turns him down. And so he brings Julia, who, you know, is clearly the hottie of the catering staff up and says, Julia, you can pick any one of these boys to dance with. And she chooses the boy who had been picked on. All of this would be cute if it did not turn into what I called in my notes a butt mitzvah. (laughs) Because they start dancing and the boy slides his hands onto Julia's butt. And then everyone else who's dancing starts feeling up each other's butts, including... Robbie, who is dancing with a little girl who I think we're supposed to understand is kind of nerdy, he takes her hands to slide them onto his own butt, which you cannot do if you are an adult man. That is very inappropriate. Yeah, uh, don't do that. It turns into an erotic friend fiction level butt grabbing. And I just have to say, if I am being completely honest, I do not like butts. Butts freak me out. I will even get upset, like, thinking about them. I'm starting to feel a little gross. But, like, I once saw a statue of a gorilla, and the butt was just a little too pronounced, and it freaked me out. (laughs) And I had to leave the room. Like, I really don't like butts. And this movie is a very butt-focused movie. At the first wedding and the very first scene, the grandma of either the bride or groom grabs Robbie's butt There's a little kid dancing, like little, little kid, like max 18 months old, but he is wearing a shirt and no pants and they really show off that baby butt. The grandpa at this wedding grabs Julia's butt, I think. There is so much butt stuff in this movie. And I- A lot of butt stuff in this movie. (laughs) Honestly, maybe I would be more comfortable with that kind of butt stuff. I just don't want to see the butts. And like Glenn has this whole mirror- above his bed or like as his headboard there is no way to have that without having to see quite a bit of butt as you're having sex just butts pumping up and down like in the room yes the room oh my gosh i really enjoyed that episode i did go see it with will and mark at the e street screening tommy wiseau's butt i will have nightmares and it's not because it's tommy wiseau's butt it is because it is a butt and i do not like butts uh this has been anti-butt talk with rachel so uh (laughs) julia is now planning her wedding and she's befriended robbie at work and initially she asked robbie for help she's like hey this is awkward but i know you just planned a wedding can you help me plan a wedding plus he works in the industry right and so at first he's like giving her a couple of pointers about like these are some vendors to go to but he doesn't want to get super involved because he's bummed about weddings but gradually he gets more and more pulled in as they become friends and as he's trying to help her out because certainly glenn is not offering any help so one example of this is he goes to see wedding singers with her as we discussed earlier on 
Uh, what's his name is taking over? John Lovitz. John Lovitz. I couldn't remember the actor's name. John Lovitz is taking over the wedding singer scene of Ridgefield, New Jersey. And he's like, not great. But he is very mean to Robbie. And so Julia says, you know, you've convinced me to hire a DJ because you suck and I don't want to hire you. But then Robbie sings a song for her. <laughs> and he wrote the first half when he was still with Linda. And he wrote the second half after she left him. You don't know how much I need you while you're near me. I don't feel blue. And when we kiss, I know you need me too. sounds like but i guess somehow it's, it's good the original songs in this movie are good julia is charmed by this and i want to take this opportunity to tell a little story from my past when i was in college i wrote a couple songs they were not particularly good but just you know for fun when your parents make you take piano for many years growing up you want to put it to you somehow and i had just started dating someone and this somehow came up and he asked if he could hear some of the songs I had written. And I said, I get very nervous playing in front of people, but I have recordings of them that I can send to you. And I sent them to him and he never mentioned them again. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if he forgot about them or if he listened to them and he thought they were so bad that he could not engage with them but it haunts me to this day that this guy listened to you know they weren't necessarily bearing my soul but when you write music it's a little bit vulnerable and I expressed that vulnerability to him and I didn't even get a negative response I got no response and as I said it haunts me to this day um would you like to sing any of these songs right now as I said, I get very nervous performing music in front of people. So all right. um, actually, fun fact for the listeners, you all may remember many years ago, Will and Mark requested that people send in a theme song for the podcast. This is the very early days. I first year. do not remember. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, at the time, had just finished grad school. I was job searching. I was bored. And so I messaged Will and I said, hey, I'm bored. What kind of theme song are you thinking? And he said, gave me some pointers. And I was actually in my sister's office at the time. I didn't have a piano, but I just like wrote out some lyrics quickly and sent them to him. And he said, this is amazing. I love it. Put music to it. This is great. And I said, okay, cool. So later that week, I put music to it. I recorded myself singing it. I think I made clear in the message that I did not want to be the singer of it, but just to give him an idea. 
and I sent it to him. And two weeks later, I still had not heard back. And honestly, I was having flashbacks <laughs> to this experience in college. I was just like, I can never send anything that I write to anyone. This is humiliating. I had actually recorded and sent this to Will on my birthday, <laughs> which he had no way of knowing, but it just really like salt in the wound. And after like a month, he messaged me back and said, I am so sorry. It was the beginning of the school year. I was just really busy and I never listened to this. I just did. It's great. Thank you so much. By the way, we're changing the name of the podcast and We Love the Love does not have the same number of syllables as Heart of Podness. So this theme song will not work. And at that point I was like, okay, well you got a theme song. I'm not writing a second one for you. I don't trust you. What's funny is a second person around the same time also sent us a Heart of Podness theme song. Uh, you know what's also funny, Will, is Heart of Podness and We Love the Love do have the same number of syllables. As I think about Very it- Very different I, flow. I think it was actually a rhyming issue because yeah. I remember the lyrics I wrote and it did like- you all used to start out the podcast, it's time for Heart of Podness, and that was a line in the theme song. The flow is different, I will give you that, but they yeah. do have the same number of syllables. No, oh. I, I don't want to malign Will too much, even though he did leave me hanging for a month, not knowing my history of people ignoring the music I had written. I think it was a rhyming issue, not a meter issue. Maligning Will too much is exactly what I do want to do, though. <laughs> it's, it's hard to know what's going to set something off. Like, Will not listening to someone's song be the issue or like will encouraging someone to practice a kiss for their wedding accidentally trigger romantic passion. Oh Holly, my gosh, yes. Holly's weird for that. I don't really get Holly's deal. Holly is Julia's cousin. She is played by Christine Taylor and she's like hot for Robbie. Like, at various points, she makes it clear that her goal is to bang Robbie. She sets up a double date with Glenn and Julia and her and Robbie. But also, she encourages Julia to practice wedding kissing on Robbie. I think she didn't have feelings for Robbie at that point. Sure, that's fine. My point more is, that's weird as hell. It is weird. I think we're moving into point four, but the weirder thing is that kiss is what gives her feelings for Robbie because of how good it was. She sees so, him his good kissing. Question for you all, since you're both getting married this year. At the wedding, tongue or no tongue? Firm handshake. Tongue only. Just like tongues <laughs> oh, need to stick out and just like kind of lick kiss. each other. Can I also say, Holly makes such a big deal about this kiss. Frankly, I thought the kiss looked weird. Like it did not look like a nice kiss to me. Maybe it's something about how Drew Barrymore's mouth is shaped, but also I think it might be something about their height difference. Like, Julia's quite a bit shorter than Robbie. That said, I am very sensitive about height differences in kissing because uh, actually the same guy who never got back to me about the songs I had shared with him when I was an undergrad at one point said to me, you are shorter than I am, and it's getting really annoying to have to bend down to kiss you, so could you please stand on your tiptoes whenever we kiss now? <laughs> and I, being like 20 years old and stupid, said, I mean, 
yeah, I guess seems reasonable. I, I don't want you to hurt your back. That's fine. For context, we were at most three and a half inches height difference. Okay. Wow. <laughs> that's that's a lot. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, point three, just to wrap it up, uh, Robbie and Julia are hanging out together and having fun. They kiss. They've shared a totally normal practice a kiss. A totally normal practice kiss. And they have started to develop feelings for each other. But then Holly is now going after him. And this brings us to point four. The bridge. The Billy Joel album. 80s. <laughs> so Holly has decided that she has a crush on Robbie. And she insists that she and Robbie go on a double date with Glenn and Julia. Hey, ass white. Don't go snitching to Julia about this. I know you got some little crush on her, but you got to face the facts. She'd rather go to bed with a real man, not some poor singing orphan. <laughs> All right, shithead. I haven't been in a fight since I was in the fifth grade, but I beat the shit out of that kid, so now I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Is this when they go to Spanky's? This is when they go to Spanky's. Spanky's appears to be a breakdancing bar. Speaking of erotic 80s, I just listened to the Richard Gere episode. I'm halfway through it. And she talks about the, like, at the turn of the 80s, the weird reaction, strong reaction to especially nightclub culture being influenced by the gay scene. And they cut to Spanky's and I was just like, so that's what she's talking about. There it is. So there it is. Yeah, I just wanted to bring that in. But uh, I one thing I liked in the scene is Robbie testing Glenn and Glenn failing. Like, it was a pretty good test of like, oh, he just says basically, look at the butt on that waitress. And then Again Robbie admits the to cheating. But, I mean, it is also a testament to like, I mean, it's it's a demonstration of a type of code switching that can happen in like all male spaces. Yes. Have you all encountered that? I'm curious because I... I'm not male and therefore never have been in an all-male Rachel, space. Is this really a thing that happens? Have you met me? <laughs> do you think, Number one, Do Mark, you think my personality makes men feel safe to objectify women like that in front of me? I mean, I think that is true and that says something good about you. But also, may I remind you, on this podcast even, you have talked multiple times about your high school girlfriend. That, which is not to say that there was not still something about your personality, but... Your sexuality, I think, I assume, I mean, again, I've never that's been in an all-male space. That's also assuming I, I have been in an all-male space okay, in high school fair. willingly. So, Will, Will, <laughs> have you ever been in an all-male space where this sort of code switching actually occurred, or is this yeah, a no, this bad ab- myth? this absolutely happens. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's been a long time. I try to avoid those kinds of I mean, circumstances. No, I think that's good. It's just, again, I feel like it is something that I see portrayed in media a lot, but in my head, it almost is not real or this blatant because it's not something I've ever experienced. But unless I am, I guess, disguising myself, I I never can experience it. Yeah, it absolutely happens. Well, that's unfortunate. And again, Glenn fully engaged, unlike you all who try to avoid it or shut it down, I assume Glenn fully engages with it. Yeah, because uh, he's no good. And admits to sleeping with another woman Less than two weeks before this double date. Yeah, well, he talks about the fact that Julia is planning the wedding as a plus because he's like, look, she's always busy planning the wedding, which means she's not asking where I am when I'm out banging broads. God, he's, he is 
a comic book villain. I, I don't think he calls anybody broads no, to his credit. But he could. I also think it's important to acknowledge that when they are at Spanky's, Julia is clearly struggling Spankies. with the fact that Robbie is on a date with Holly. And she is responding to this by drinking a lot. Earlier in the movie, she shared that she was not a big drinker. So you have to assume that this is having a major effect on her until you don't have to assume it anymore because Because she she literally walks on top of the table and then throws up about as much as that kid in the first scene of the movie. Holly, They used the same fake throw up. They just had her drink it up too. Do you drink that to then spit it out? I mean, Rachel, the other way is worse where it's their own throw up. I guess oh, like I shoot it out from like their hands. Oh no no no! Yeah. Oh, I don't. Hopefully, it does not taste like any. Ooh, what if there have to be chunks? In, ugh, I don't need to think about this anyway. Yeah. Um <laughs> So Holly is making an effort to take care of her before passing her off to Glenn, who's going to take her. I think back to his place, not home. And Glenn is again such a jerk about the fact that she's not doing well. He is not taking care of her. He makes it clear that he is more concerned about her vomiting in his car than he is about her feeling okay. Holly goes back to her place. I think Robbie walks her home. And it has been a running thread throughout this movie that Holly is pretty promiscuous. And one thing I appreciate is that the movie does not tell us she is a bad person because of that. It's a little bit of a joke, but it feels like a joke that Holly herself is also laughing about. And also, it was very normal in this time period to have sex with several hundred people. I mean, she's just doing her part to bring that (laughs) average up. Exactly. But she says to him, I know that you're kind of shy, and I know that you've been hurt recently. You were left at the altar, so I'm going to make this really easy for you. I just kept thinking (laughs) of the Silver Linings playbook, like, when Jennifer Lawrence propositions, it's like, I hate that you wore an Eagles jersey, but you can keep it on, I guess. Yeah, Holly says to Robbie, if you come upstairs, I will have sex with you. I think right before that, too, she says, I can't stop thinking about that soft kiss between you and Julia. Yeah. But then he says no, and she immediately is like, you're in love with Julia. And Julia's in love with Glenn for his money. Yeah. You don't have any money, loser. I don't think Holly is trying to ruin this, though. I think she's being honest. Yeah, because she she also knows Glenn is terrible, and that can be the only reason. She's like, logically, it has to be for the money. (laughs) We haven't talked about it, but... no self-confidence. It's the only reason. But yeah, so Julia also kind of starts to accept her feelings for Robbie at this time. But Robbie goes home, and who should show up but Linda? I think... One scene that is the scene that stuck with me most when I first saw the movie as a seven-year-old and that I now find really lovely is the process of Julia accepting her feelings for Robbie. She is wearing her wedding dress. It's the week of her wedding. And she's in the mirror practicing saying, I'm Julia Gulia. I, <laughs> I'm Julia Gulia. I'm Julia Gulia. I'm Mr. Glenn Gulia. She's kind of repeating. Come on this. down to Julia Gulia's used Toyotas. <laughs> She's repeating this over and over, but then she says, "Hi, I'm Julia Hart, 
Robbie and I are so excited that you're here at our wedding. And you see her just both light up and also sort of settle into this identity that she is starting to accept is the identity that she wants. Meanwhile, Robbie has gone to a bar with Sammy. Is George there? I can't remember. It might just be Uh, Sammy. I think it's just Sammy, the limo driver. Yeah, because he Mm -hmm. went to New York to try to get a real job not just a wedding singer, so that Julia will be with him. And he fails to get the job. He even offers, I will pay you if you give me a single business card so I can pretend I have a job. And the guy at the Wall Street Bank, I don't know how money stuff in New York works. The guy says no. So he's bummed. He's at a bar. And Sammy opens up about how his life is not rewarding, his Sammy's life. And if Robbie really loves Julia he needs to go after her. So Robbie is walking up to Julia's house, sees her in the upstairs window having this conversation where she's, you know, clearly laughing and happy and he doesn't realize she's talking to herself in the mirror while pretending to be married to him. Yeah, he sees her like laughing and smiling in her wedding dress. And so... Which we will need to discuss. Would you like to do that now? Because I guess this is really the only time when you see the dress. Mark, it's Wedding Dress Watch 2022. Why the gloves? It's the Step 80s. one. I didn't even process the gloves. The gloves were the worst part to me. Because the dress was... Don't you say the dress was good. It was not good. But I don't remember it being heinous. But I think I was too distracted by the gloves to process the dress. Will, they were like bedazzled lace gloves. How did you miss the this? The top of the dress hangs on her like a t-shirt. It looks like she is wearing a like big scoop neck t-shirt with just tons of tool hanging off the bottom. It was not the most ridiculous wedding dress in the movie, though. I'll grant you that. Well, I mean, the thing is, every one of the one of the people just sitting, insane. except for this one. Yeah, it does kind of sit on her like a t-shirt. That's a really good way of it's describing so it. It's so weird. You'd think Glenn <laughs> could afford something nicer. True. Uh, yeah, <laughs> not great. So Robbie goes home, and Linda is there, and Linda's like. I'm back, baby. And I think Robbie might be kind of drunk at this point. He's like blackout. He's fully he, he goes back to the bar because he thinks Julia was talking to Glenn and is so clearly in love when actually she's in love with the idea of being married to Robbie. So he shows up. He passes out on Linda, I want to say. Yeah. And she kind of gets him inside she like to take care of him. Kind of tries to take care of him. It does also seem like she is open to trying to persuade him the next day that they had sex, which they clearly did not. Right. Yeah. Not a good person. Who is worse? I know we see a lot more of Glenn being bad, but who is worse, Linda or Glenn? I'm going to say Glenn Glenn because I assume he's also committing financial crimes. You don't know what Linda's job is. That's true. I don't. I still think it's Glenn. He, He sets a very high bar. But yeah, so the next day, Julia comes over to be like, Robbie, I'm in love with you. But Linda answers the door. And she has also made Robbie a gift. She got a bunch of sheet music. And I think she hand calligraphied, like, written by or composed by Robbie Hart on all of these pages of sheet music. It's very lovely. He had talked about how he wants to get back into songwriting. But Linda answers the door and is like, oh, Robbie's still asleep. I think she's wearing his Van Halen t-shirt, She's wearing t-shirt one of his too. t-shirts, yeah. yeah. So Julia leaves. She's sad. And she, as she 
runs away crying. She leaves the pages of sheet music scattered on the lawn. Yeah. And Robbie wakes up and he's like, Linda, what the heck are you doing here? He's like, we're not getting back together. I hate you. Yeah. She, I am curious about what happened that convinced her to get back with Robbie. Because none of the things she objected to have changed. And she also is not portrayed in this movie as being so in love with him that she's willing to say, I made a mistake. I really do want to be with my emotional level. Don't think the writers of this movie put any thought into it, Rachel. I want to know what, what I don't think there is any reason for her to What come has back. happened in the last couple of months that convinced her she needs to be with Robbie? Anyway, um I think there just aren't a lot of single men in Ridgefield and she's like it's Robbie or nothing. Yeah. Robbie or John Lovitz. I think she slept with Glenn. Oh, I like this twist. She slept with Glenn and was like no thanks and then Glenn was like sorry, what do you want? I mean I've only had sex with 150 people. Like, I'm, I haven't reached my prime yet. <laughs> it uh, is my dream that this misconception of mine becomes an ongoing bit on your podcast every time you cover a movie that was filmed or set in the 80s. Nothing would make me happier. Even having my theme song that I worked very hard on actually produced. That would not top creating a bit for the pod. So at this point... The two are in, like, kind of a weird spot because they've both tried to confess their love Mm. to one another, but both of them thinks that they have been rebuffed. Like, Robbie had gone over to do, like, a nighttime confession of love, but he thought Julia was into Glenn, and Julia came over, but she thought he was dating Linda. So I think this takes us just to point number five. Yes, so Julia is heartbroken And goes to Glenn and says, you know what? We don't need the big wedding. Let's just go to Vegas right now. And Glenn is thrilled, which I guess is because he now doesn't have to go through the wedding rigmarole. But at the same time, right now, he and Julia live apart. And Julia has also been very preoccupied by wedding planning. So he has plenty of time to... Rack up that high score. Seek out the company of other young ladies and once they are married they will be living together presumably i don't know some couples don't but i have to assume and also she will not have wedding planning to distract her so it feels like this will really cramp glenn's style and i don't know why he is so eager to just get it done right now but he is they get ready to go to the plane robbie goes to Rosie's 50th anniversary party, which is what he has been coaching her to sing at because she says, you know, if I sing this song perfectly, then my husband will know how hard I must have worked to sing it perfectly. And that will then indicate to him how much I love him. Which This is also the rapping grandma scene. Yeah, I think it's a little misguided, but mm-hmm. it's very sweet. Yeah, it is. But following that, he goes to... Try to see Julia. He realizes that she had been coming to extend this olive branch. And he has to race to the airport. Well, because Holly, I think, is catering the anniversary party and says, why are you back with Linda? He says, what are you talking about? I kicked her out this morning once I sobered up enough to know what was happening. And she said, Julia came to give you a gift and... Linda told her that the two of you are back together and she's in love with you, but she's so heartbroken that she's on a plane to Vegas to marry Glenn. 
And so then he goes and he has to hop the plane and he has to buy a, la- a last minute first class ticket on Vegas Air. Yeah, I texted Will about this. It's so weird seeing airlines in movies that are not one of five. Like truly regional airlines that no longer exist. Yeah, the concept of a Vegas Air. Baffling. Even for these like smaller airlines that did exist. In my brain, I'm like, well, this is clearly a made-up airline because... It's not United Delta or American. Would Vegas Air keep a mask mandate after it was federally required? Almost certainly not. It's zero percent my new game with every airline. Would you keep a mask mandate? Well, the answer is no, because none of them have. I mean, it's... (laughs) Are there not even any small regional ones? I can't imagine a small regional one would be more willing to keep the mandate. I do have sympathy for the employees who were required to enforce it. I think that was probably pretty rough for them. But at the same time, I feel bad for them now being probably exposed to COVID on a daily basis. Yep. Uh, you, you might remember that how it became a global issue is through people spreading it on airplanes. Okay, so <laughs> Robbie is on the plane where he meets 80s singer Billy Idol. <laughs> dressed up as himself in the 80s. And he, like, tells everyone the story of his love for Julia, who is on the same plane, which he didn't Yes, know. he didn't realize it. He thought he was chasing her plane. But... Right. But the plane with this... This plane with the largest first-class cabin in history. I, have you ever been on Las Vegas Air? Maybe this is normal. <laughs> That's true. Maybe this is normal for Vegas Air, where the first-class cabin appears to be larger than coach in terms of yeah. number of passengers. <laughs> So, he discovers Julia is on the plane, and then he sings his original song on the mic. First, we have to say how he discovers Julia is on the plane, because in a weird way, Glenn does them a favor. Glenn, to be clear, has been awful for this entire flight. Julia wanted to sit in the window seat because she has never seen the lights of Las Vegas before. I don't think she's ever been on a plane before. And has. Yeah. And this is a thing that came up. Robbie was talking to Julia earlier in the movie about how there were certain things about Linda. He doesn't use this phrase, but basically red flags that he did not recognize at the time, but now looking back can see. Like, for example... They once went on a trip, and even though she had seen the Grand Canyon before and he hadn't, she would not let him sit in the window seat. And so it's kind of a callback to that because Glenn says, Julia, you need to sit in the aisle seat because whenever they push the drink cart through, they bang my elbow. And you have smaller elbows than I do. Her elbow still gets banged. But he says, you know what? We'll compromise. When we're getting close to Vegas, and clearly she thinks he's going to say we can switch seats. And he says... You can lean over me to look out the window. He's a generous guy. But the way that Robbie discovers he's on the same plane is a flight attendant comes up into first class and says, oh my goodness, this guy in coach just asked me to join the Mile High Club. And then I don't remember the exact phrase, but... Something about a butt. Like a grade A piece of meat or something like that is how he had described the waitress's butt at Spanky's. Spankies. And he uses the same phrase to describe this flight attendant's butt. And Robbie says, wait a minute, nobody would use that specific phrase but Glenn. And he kind of peeks his head around the curtain and he sees that Glenn is there. And so he starts plotting. 
and so yeah, then he he gets as you said, Mark, he gets on the mic and sings his original love song before eventually emerging and singing it to Julia. I'll get you medicine when your tummy aches. Build you a fire if the furnace breaks, so it could be so nice growing old with you. And she's happy, and they kiss, and they cut to them getting married. And Steve Buscemi's the wedding singer! Also, I appreciate that there is effective use of the drink carts to block Glenn from getting back, including Mm -hmm. one drink cart pushed by Billy Idol. Yeah, that's good. And another one No, a Billy Idol fan. I assume the kid from the Goldbergs because he's on the flight. Right, you gotta, you gotta remember those kids <laughs> oh, from the yeah. Goldbergs are there too. And they're listening to the song and they're like, wow, that's really lovely. And the guy is like, yeah, like that's why we should get married. And the girl is like, no, see, we're not like them. We shouldn't get married. And they don't get married. Spoilers for a season six episode of the Goldbergs. All right. So do we find the romance between Robbie and Julia believable? Um, so point for point, they meet, they get along, but they're both imminently marrying other people they slowly realize that both of those people are terrible and fall in love with each other but they don't communicate it well and then when they finally do they get engaged scale of zero to ten i'm a six on this i go to seven i'm gonna be honest i was gonna say a four because i think Everything that happens is believable, but the movie goes out of its way to give us a timeline, and that timeline is a little too much for me. Yes, ending with the wedding is a lot. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, we don't know how long the cut is. We don't know how long the cut is, but they are willing to, I think, on the plane, I don't know that it's a full-on proposal, but they are clearly in that moment fully committing to each other, and they are fully committing to each other, both of them having had serious committed relationships fall apart and i also the 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 fake kiss is a lot for me oh yeah so i'm I'm going to six i've been knocked down to a five you're just yanking us both down all of it is (laughs) believable that it all could happen but the timeline and particular way in which it happens i give it the highest possible i don't think it's believable because anything in a vacuum I'll believe but I don't find it believable that it all happens exactly the way that it does Rachel do you think Robbie or Julia is dateable not no but I would not want to date either of them Robbie because I do not react well when people yell at me and I think he's not necessarily yelling at people in an unhealthy way of expressing his emotions but I just would not react well to that I think if Julia learned to communicate her feelings better, I would be willing to date her. I think if she is with someone who is willing to pull her feelings out of her, which it seems like Robbie kind of is, she's dateable, but I am not that person. How about you all? I feel like we've had a pretty bad run recently of dateable leads. So I was more inclined to say I don't want to date them, but they are dateable because I feel like we've had some real... Duds. Well, again, last week we were talking about 
the room. <laughs> so we had... Yeah, that is probably We why. had Johnny, we had Lisa. Yeah. All right, Rachel. If you had to pick one person to date, who would you choose? Obviously, George. George needs to learn another I need song. a little more variety than George can My provide for me. Is, I would just say to George, I think it's wonderful that you love this song so much. I don't need to hear it all the time. Sing it at work. Like, I don't know. A lot of times partners don't necessarily know what the other one is doing at work. George is also clearly multi-talented and can play instruments for a lot of different songs, just cannot sing more than one song. So I think I would be fine with it. I don't know. The rapid grandma seems fun. So that's what I was going to say. I want to date Rosie. Uh, She's very sweet. She's very caring. Apparently makes some killer meatballs. And she has had intercourse with at least nine different men, which is... That's like 200 now. No, that's 200 in the 80s. It's back back down to nine it's back to nine. (laughs) But I do appreciate she is willing to talk about sex, which I think is important if you are having it. You need to be able to talk about it. Mark, do you think that Robbie and Julia would stay together? Um, I think they both seem to want very similar things, so... I think so. Yeah, I guess. I would love to see their relationship between the plane and the wedding. I'd love to know how long it is. Yeah, we have never actually seen the two of them in a relationship with each other. We've only seen them crushing on each other. And I think crushing versus in a relationship or flirting versus in a relationship can look very different. All right, Mark. Should the wedding singer be adapted into a Broadway musical? This one I know the answer to, and it's it already has. Of course, it was nominated for five Tony Awards. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Any follow-up on that? It was also nominated for eight Drama Desk Awards. Uh, it lost most of those. This was the Jersey Boys year. It's written by Matthew Sklar and Chad Begellen, who are the guys who wrote Elf the Musical and Netflix's own The Prom. <sighs> All right. I think that's about it for The Wedding Singer. I'm glad we did it. I think it was appropriate. And, you know, we learned a lot of important things. We'd love to learn more about our listeners. So don't forget to tweet at us your number in the spirit of the uh, early 20-teens rom-com. What's your number? Uh, Tweet at us your number uh, with the hashtag erotic80s to tell us how many people you had sex with in the 80s. Next week... We will be watching a very adult film, but not in the sense that you're thinking about it. We're taking a look at Nicole Hall of Center's movie Enough Said, starring Julie Louis-Dreyfus and James Gandolfini as two grown-ups who fall in love as their kids are headed off to college. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts, to help other people find the show. All right, Rachel. What is the best piece of dating advice we got from The Wedding Singer? Make good meatballs. I was going to say, take care of people while they throw up. Because even if the person throwing up isn't your soulmate, your soulmate might be impressed by how nice you are. I learned that scheduling a wedding around the TV season is apparently not a deal breaker. Can I jump in and ask, (laughs) just because this is a wedding planning movie and both of you are in the middle of planning weddings, what is the best piece of wedding or wedding planning advice that you each got from this movie? Well, this is unrelated, but I just looked at my notes and realized I didn't bring up the fact 
that the movie suggests Glenn sleeps with gum in his mouth because at one point Julia wakes him up in his bed that has a mirror for a headboard and he's just woken up and in the conversation they're having, he is chewing gum. Ew. Um, that's not my most valuable piece of wedding planning advice. Uh, I would say I really should have had someone in the industry come negotiate prices with me because Robbie is very helpful for that. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, he was great. Uh, my biggest piece of advice is do not hire John Lovitz to perform at your wedding. (laughs) Yeah. Why? Why would you say that? Well, again, you know, given his performance as himself in the season six episode of the Goldbergs, (laughs) <laughs> this character seems like kind of a scummy guy. Are you all going oh, band or DJ? DJ. Unfortunately, I gave a non-refundable deposit to John Lovitz, so I got this advice too late. Ah, <laughs> oh, dang it. Well, <laughs> on that note, until next time, I'm Dan. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye! Give me time to Let me love and steal. Is scary. I have danced. Ooh, I like her. How can love be real? Do you really want to hurt me?